I uh, wanted to do a follow-up this week from uh, a uh, message that I brought last Sunday. Do you remember what I spoke about last Sunday? I'll give you a smarty if you remember. Oh, no, wait, I don't have a smarty. Hallelujah. We were talking about living at fuller capacity. Yes, now you remember, right? Yeah. Help me out now. You remember, right? Yeah, okay. So we were talking about Joshua and uh, how, how the Lord had prepared him and the people to enter the land of Canaan, enter into the promised land, to take the, uh, to, to, to take the inheritance that God had given them. They had wandered around for 40 years. And Joshua now was leading the people over, and we talked about living at that fuller capacity and going after all that God has for you. But it struck me this week that I needed to do another follow-up because, uh, by the way, just, just for, your, for your information, this is free, but uh, just throwing this in for free. Um, it's all free. You're not, you know, I'm just, I don't even know why we say that. It's weird. But uh, um, jo- the book of Joshua is an astounding, amazing book in the Old Testament, if you didn't know. But if one thing you may not know is that the book of Joshua is closely related to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And you'll see a lot of things that play out in Joshua that, that, that have a deep, deep root, a deep connection to the book of Ephesians. And this week I was noting that again as I was, I was actually reading Joshua and then flipping to Ephesians and then reading Joshua and then flipping back to Ephesians. And I was seeing connections all over the place. And uh, I just, just throw that in there. So uh, Ephesians is almost like the New Testament version of the book of Joshua in a sense. And... Uh, that's probably worthy of a few sermons coming up. So just drop that in my C drive and I'll, uh, I'll do that later. But Joshua chapter 3, we looked at Joshua chapter 1 last week and I wanted to go to Joshua 3 because we left last week that Joshua was uh, ready to take on the, com- the commitment of being the leader of close to 3 million people. He, he was stepping out from the shadow of the great prophet Moses and he was leading the people. The people were ready to go. They were, they were, uh, they were fired up, ready to take the land, and everything was, uh, was hunky-dory. But I realized that if we left it there, we, we, left them, we left them on the wrong side of the Jordan. Okay, just, just saying. That's the river, not Pastor Jordan. And, and, and so just if you didn't know the story, they... They did cross the River Jordan, and they did take the land. And so I wanted to get into that today and look at Joshua chapter 3. Do you feel at times like you need something fresh in your life? Like, like you're just ready for a change? Something, something just needs to happen to, to, to snap you out of the doldrums, you know? And it got me thinking, are you prepared? Am I prepared? Are we prepared to overcome the challenges that it's going to take to take new ground in our lives. You know the definition of insanity. We do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. So, so we know that we have to do something different to get something different. And our, but, but sometimes doing the different, right, 
is a challenge because we're all creatures of habit and we like to do the same thing. You get up, you have coffee, you drive to work, you do the same thing. I do the same thing. And sometimes we're not prepared for the challenge of taking the new ground because of the cost that it's going to require of us. But we can do it. And you can do it. I can do it. And here in Joshua chapter 3, we find that the Israelites are at the Jordan River. They're at the bank of the Jordan River. Uh, Like I said, they've been wandering the desert for 40 years. Now they're at the, the, the shore. They're right at the bank of the Jordan. And just like their fathers had come there uh, 40 years prior, they'd come to the edge of the promised land. They got scared and they didn't enter. Now a new generation has, has arisen up. Only Joshua and Caleb are left from all the people that had been there that same day. And, that, and now this new generation is, is, uh, is given this same opportunity to go into the land and, uh, and claim their inheritance. So look up, uh, put up for me Joshua 3, verse, verses 1 to 5, and it says this. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp. They were giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, Move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. We're going to look at the rest in just a minute. But in these five verses... God tells them to prepare for victory in three simple ways. He says, first, he says, keep your eyes on me. Next, he says, purify yourself. And third, uh, we'll see later, they step into the water. And, and, and this is what I want to challenge us and encourage us with us today, that as we want to take new ground in our own lives and to make, you know, to, to, to make that change, to live to a fuller capacity, How can we do it? What are some simple steps that we can take? Well, God gives us three things here. He says to do three things, and we're going to talk about that today. First one is, he says, keep your eyes on me. Go back and uh, put up for me verse 3 and 4 again. He says this, give these instructions to the people. uh, When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. You've never traveled this way before. They will guide you. Stay half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. So I know that most of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. You've heard of the Ark of the Covenant and all that good stuff. But the real Ark of the Covenant was there in that day. It was uh, something that God had instructed them to build back in the days of Moses. And the Ark of the Covenant really represented the presence of God. That's what, it, that's what it meant. That's what it was. And so they were to stay well back from the ark. But the whole idea is that they were to keep their eye on the ark, to follow it. Meaning he's saying this, keep your eye on me. You're going, you're going into new land. You're going to need to follow me. Keep your eyes on me, right? Keep your eyes on me is what he's saying. Keep your eye on the ark. 
There's three million or close to three million people, right? They're told to follow the ark. And so imagine if three million people tried to crowd up close to the ark, will everyone be able to see it? The answer is no. Only a few people at the front will be able to see it. Those way, way back will never have a chance to see the ark. So there's a couple reasons. He says, he says stay well back. One is that he wanted everybody to see it. He said, keep your eyes on the ark. Keep your distance. And keeping their distance made sure that it was visible for every one of those two and a half to three million people to be able to see the ark. And, and that was important. Keep your eyes on the ark. The distance, of course, also reminded them of the awe and of the respect and of the power that there was in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Remember back at Mount Sinai, God warned the people about coming too close. Don't come too close. Basically, he says, for my glory will consume you. It will be too much for you, right? And so there's, there's this sense of awe and wonder and respect. And, and, and so this is also in here as well, for sure. So you're not to treat the presence of the Lord casually. Mm-hmm. You're not to treat the presence of the Lord casually. And just because we're thousands of years ahead, when the word says that when we gather, he promises to be here, we don't treat that casually. And if we do, we're wrong. It's something special and unique. As children of God, see, now in New Testament days, we've been in New Covenant, we've been given the liberty, the word says, to come boldly to his throne. We can come into his throne, but so we can enjoy this relationship, this close relationship. We can talk to him, pray to him, have him in our lives. We enjoy his goodness, his mercy. We, we enjoy all of those things, all of the blessings and the favor of our Father God. But we must never lose the reverence for God. That is a vital part of, of, of keeping him almighty God, right? Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? It's still good advice today. There is something here about the ark going before the people. He says, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on the presence of the Lord. Keep your eyes. Follow it. You don't know where you're going. You've never been here before. You're entering new ground, a new place in your life. Keep your eyes on me. Are you getting it, folks? You want to enter new territory? Go somewhere different? Do somewhere different? We got to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is our guide. He is the one that we follow. So they're told to keep their eye on the ark and to follow it. He's their guide. He's their wisdom. He's their strength. He's everything that they'll need. The instructions are very, very clear. Follow me and I will lead you. But keep your eyes on me, right? So they camp at the Jordan for three days, by the way, before proceeding. So you'd think just in the sense of momentum, right, that once you make the decision and you get there, you're ready to cross that river and smash the enemy and push everybody out to the farthest corners like we talked about last week. But no, God says, no, just hold on. Whoop, 
slow it down, take a seat, set up camp. I was thinking about that this week, and I think I was thinking, why the delay? Like, why not just keep going? And the more I thought about it and, and started doing some reading, I, I realized that the delay was actually important. There was something being made clear to those three million uh, Israelites, something that was being made very clear to all of them. And it was this. You're not going to be able to do this without me. And this is why I want you to camp beside the River Jordan for a couple of days. It was flood season, and we'll, we'll read it uh, coming up later in this chapter, but it was flood season, and the Jordan River was at its peak. Some say that back, uh, back in those days that the river, it's not this, like this uh, so much now, but the river was, uh, during its dry season, it would shrink down to maybe 20, 30 feet wide. But at its peak season, at certain parts of the river, it would actually gush out to be nearly a mile wide. And they were at one of the big pieces. And so here they are. The, the river is a mile wide. And by the way, it, it turned into raging rapids. Things were, the, 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 you know, uh, Psalms that says the dew is falling off Mount Hermon and all the, all, everything is coming. It's, it's, it's just gushing. All the water is coming down from the mountain. The river is a raging rapid. And it's way too wide to cross. You have three million people, small children. You've got tents and wagons. You've got cattle and herds and stuff. How are you going to get your stuff across nearly possibly a mile-wide river that's raging? And then he says to camp there on the edge for three days. Just imagine. This is what I was, I was picturing. For three days... They're looking at this river, realizing, oh, my goodness. How are we going to get across this? This this is a big problem. You know what I'm saying? And camping there for three days on the edge drives home the point. There's only one way. And his name is Jesus, right? There's, there's only one person, there's only God, who's going to get you across this river. So they sat there for three days. God was clearly making a point. We need his help to see the impossible things change in our lives. So, do you have any Jordan rivers in your life? Do you have any impossible challenges that you can't you just can't cross on your, on your own. You don't have the strength, the wisdom, the knowledge, the skill. You can't do it by yourself. Join the club. If you have problems bigger than your ability to solve, we all do. Remember this. Camp at the River Jordan and contemplate, my God is able. My God is able. He can cross. He can get me across this river. He can find a way to solve this problem. He can find a way to heal this relationship. He can find a way to increase my finances. He can give me the wisdom. He can, he can put the connections in my life. My God can do this, right? There are times in our lives when he is the only solution we have. There's no other way. 
He has to come through. And so he's saying, keep your eyes on me and follow me. Follow my lead. So the previous generation of Israelites had seen God's power. They had seen God get them out of Egypt. They had seen all the plagues and all the things God had done. They had seen God part the Red Sea that they walked across on dry ground. But see, now this generation had never seen God's power like that. And so here they are at the banks of the Jordan River. And now it's the time for this generation to experience his glory. Come on now. So you look, you can tell your kids all the great things that God has done in your life, all the wonderful things that you've seen over the years, his faithfulness and his goodness and his power. But, but there's nothing like experiencing it for themselves, right? There's nothing like it. So look, our prayer has got to be, God, show your glory to this generation. Show your glory to our children, to our grandchildren, to, to this generation. Reveal to them your love, your power. Let them experience Holy Spirit for themselves. Not just stories from the days of Pentecost or from the days of in the 60s and the 70s or the 50s when God was doing powerful things in your life or through your church. We need this generation to see the power of God. There's nothing like experiencing it for yourself. All these younger people were standing at the bank of a raging wild river and, the, and people were saying, well, God... God, God got us out of Egypt. Yeah, whippy, I never saw that. Well, God parted the Red Sea. Yeah, sure, some story my grandfather told me. But now they're about to experience the power of God for themselves. So he says, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. He says, do a second thing. He said, purify yourselves. Put up Joshua 3, 5 for me. He said, Joshua told the people, purify yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do great wonders among you. God is going to do great wonders, but you have to prepare yourselves. So this verse has two sides to it. One side is what God's going to do. And the other side is what the people needed to do to put themselves into into the right position to receive what God was ready to give to them. So they would go through to purify themselves. They would go through uh, various things. But basically, they, they had to do some specific things. They had, to, um, they had to wash. And by the way, washing in the desert, a lot of the time using water was a luxury. And so uh, the smell of those people, whoo, I'm sure was not pleasant. But, but when it came to purifying themselves, they had to wash with water. And that was a big deal. And you had to you had to wash your clothes and put on fresh clothes. You had to do some very specific things to purify yourself. It was, it was a sign of something. It, this was special. This was not just another day. And don't believe the lie that every day is the same. Every day is not the same. There are special days in our lives. And this was going to be a special day. And so he's saying, purify yourselves, prepare yourselves, Get ready, because this is going to be a day of days, a special, special day. Change your clothes. Do what you got to do. And I was thinking, he's asking us, keep your eyes on me. Second, he says, purify yourselves. Now, we need to position ourselves to receive what God wants to give us too. 
So you start asking, well, how's my relationship with Jesus? How are you doing with that? How are you doing with, with the struggle in your life? How are you dealing with your sin? Are you making progress? Are you, are you, are you becoming more like him? Are you winning more than you're losing? How is that happening? How are you dealing with all that in your life? I wanted to read uh, four verses because I wanted to make the point that there's a part that we play in God makes us holy, but we, we have a part to play in, in walking in holiness, righteousness, and sanctification before him. There's a part that we play. There's a, put up for me 2 Corinthians 7.1. It says, because we have these promises, dear friends, I want you to notice the, 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 the personal requirements in these verses. What's it say? Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. So he's saying, listen, cleanse yourself. Paul's reminding the Corinthians, cleanse yourself from everything that's wrong, everything that, that, is, that, that can defile your spirit, everything that is dragging you down, everything that is weighing you down, everything that's stopping you, everything that you know God wants you to get rid of, get rid of it, everything in, that's either wrecking your body or polluting your mind or your spirit. Deal with it, he's saying. Deal with it and, and, and work towards complete holiness. So he's saying something very powerful that we're, paying, we're playing that role. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. It says, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. But if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. I don't know about you, but I'm into being a special utensil. And I encourage you not to be satisfied with anything else. So keep yourselves pure. And God can use that in a greater way in your life than if you don't. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. (gasps) Does it sound like Joshua chapter 3? How do you keep yourself pure? By... Keeping your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So set aside, deal with the sin that's tripping you up, that's tangling you up. Deal with it. That's what he's saying. And last, very famous verse, Second Chronicles, you know this one. If my people who are called by my name, who's doing this? They will, they will, is God humble? He's saying, will humble themselves. He's asking us to take a part in this. If my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll restore their land. See, 
this verse, even just this verse, asks us to do four things. Humble yourself, pray, seek God, turn from your wicked ways. When you do that, you're setting yourself up for victory. You are preparing yourself for victory. Amen? This is, this is, this is the idea. This is our topic today, preparing for victory. How do we do it? We do it by purifying ourselves. That's one of the things, one of the ways we do it. It's, I'm not saying it's always easy. I'm not saying it's always the most popular, but I'm saying that it's, it's, it's a wonderful, powerful thing to do before the Lord, that, that we set aside things that are tripping us up, that we turn from our wicked ways, and it, and, and, and it has a way of preparing us for victory. God uses us. We turn from ordinary into special utensils. We, we find new power and new life and new wisdom and new anointing, new encouragement, new passion and compassion that, that flows in and out of our life. All of this is tied in together. When you get yourself right with God and you walk with that life and you stay there, it hurts us and it hinders us when we don't. It, it, it hinders us from receiving what God has for us. And so basically he's saying, listen, holiness is a preparation for victory. It's a preparation to win. You know that I hate to lose. I've mentioned that only a thousand times. Leafs are going to win more than they're going to lose this year, by the way, all you have fans. But, but I'm into winning, and I know you are too. Why not have and receive and live with all the blessings that the Lord would have for us, like we talked about last week. Holiness prepares us for victory. So he says two things to them. He says, keep your eyes on me. Purify yourself. And then the third is the rest of the chapter. He asks them to actually step into the water. Joshua verse uh, 6 and we'll read it to the end. It's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's important that you get this. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, all the ites ahead of you. Look at the Ark of the Covenant. Look at the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth. He will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And the priests will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. And as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Uh, It was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. 
But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away. It was about, about I looked it up, it's about 20 miles away, upstream, a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. And then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Isn't that amazing? The priests go in first. Now, imagine, the river is gushing. It's madness. They're carrying this, and they step in, and the river the, the, just starts backing up a wall, right? This flows on down until they have this big chunk and, th- you know, three million people. So I was thinking to myself, if you're the priest, you're the first in and you're the last out. It's got to take a little bit of faith, I'm thinking. You know, like you're standing there and people are going by and cows are going by and little kids are, well, look, like this. you're like, hurry. Like, I don't know how long it's going to last, you know, like. Hurry! You know, and they're standing there. Hours go by. They're the first in. They're the last out. But everybody makes it across, right? God is going to do wonders, but they have to obediently act in faith. Everybody, listen, this is, this is the point that I want you to catch about this. They all could have followed the ark. They all could have looked at and, and followed the presence of the Lord. They all could have prayed. They all could have purified themselves, prepped up for their special day. But if nobody had stepped into the river, hmm? nothing, nothing would have happened. We've got to step into the waters, my friend. So how do you prepare for victory? You, you do it by keeping your eyes on Jesus. You do it by purifying yourself and walking in a life of righteousness and commitment to the Lord. And then when you hear the Lord say something, when he gives you instruction, you've got to step into the water. You can do it all, but if I stand on the banks, the river is still going to rush. But you've, you've got to get to the point where you step in. So there there. There are times of preparation in our lives. But then there are times when we must act in faith and believe the promise of God. Amen? There's just times when we must act. Like I said, I mean, think about the priests. They're approaching this river. It's a mile wide. The water is gushing. They have to stand in the middle while close to three million people and a bunch of slow animals cross over. They are the first to enter, the last to leave. They've got to be, they be thinking to themselves, please hurry, please hurry. And I just, it just reminded me again, their own faith. God, there's so many lessons, you know, in life. And here they are, priests dedicated to the service of the Lord. The Lord's going to use them, but he's going to teach them and expand their faith as well because they had never seen anything like this either. They're part of this new generation as well. And if they're to lead people as priests to believe God and have faith in God, 
Isn't it all the more powerful for them to experience the glory and power of God too? And so he sends them first and they stand there probably for hours while the people cross and they stand there looking at a wall of water that's all around them. It took a little bit of guts and some courage, but they did it. Their faith was tested and they passed. But faith means that we step into the waters. And by the way, the priests give us, you know, faith means that we step into the water and we stand our ground. Mm -hmm. We stand our ground. The wind may be blowing, you know. He's going to huff and puff, but he can't blow our house down, right, if we stand our ground. Our house is not made of straw. He can't blow us down. Amen? He, he can huff and he can puff. And, but when you, listen, I'm telling you from experience, and many of you know, you feel God says for you to do something, you step out in faith, and then nothing but trouble, nothing but challenge. Everywhere you look, there's a wall around you. You go, okay, so I'm either going to stand here and believe, or I'm going to turn tail and I'm going to run and go back there where it's safer. This is the challenge of faith. We look, we keep our eyes on him, we purify ourselves, and then when the direction is given, we step into the water and we stay. It's important to stay. Lots of times I think God tells us to do something We take that step, and at the first sign of trouble, we run back. Well, he told you to take the step. If he's told you to take the step, then have the courage to take the step and stand. Stand. And And it just reminded me that's exactly what he asked the priests to do. See, this generation of Israelites, they had a different spirit than the the previous generation. The enemies were still there. All the reasons that had stopped the previous generation from going into the promised land, they were all still there. Nothing had gone away, right? All the challenges were still there. The enemies were still there, right? The giants were still there. All the issues, the big walled cities were still there. All the challenges that stopped them before. The raging Jordan River still needed to be crossed. All of these things were still, were still before them. But all these same things that had stopped them before did not stop them this time. They were willing to keep their eyes on Jesus. They were willing to purify themselves. They were willing to step out into the water and to stand. They were willing to do what the previous generation was not willing to do. They were willing to fight the giants. They were willing to believe that the walled cities would come down. They were willing to believe that God was with them. They were willing to believe that impossible things can happen when his presence is among us. They were willing to believe these things. And when they stepped into the waters, it all started making sense. So I just want to encourage us as we enter into a new season for our church in a new building in a new location. I believe that it can be a new season for us as individuals as well. 
we're going to have new challenges. You're going to have new challenges. But along with new challenges come new opportunities. And by the way, I just, I'll throw this in. This one also is for free. But uh, once they cross the Jordan, they get into, it's, uh, they do a ceremonial thing in chapter 4 and chapter 5. They, they're camping. They still haven't taken Jericho yet, which is the first city that must fall. And they're camped just on the other side of the Jordan now. And they began to, they, they said they began to eat of the crops that were on the land. And in Joshua chapter 5, it says, from that day forward, the Lord stopped sending the manna down from heaven. So I just wanted you to, I wanted you to note this. He, kept, he led them by a cloud by day, right, and a pillar of fire by night. He was giving them manna every day. Talk about routine. Talk about every day being the same. Oh, my goodness. So every day is the same. For 40 years, they wander around eating manna, looking for water, laying on sand, getting up, pitching your tent, eating manna, looking for water, laying on sand. It was, it, it was an existence that was about to come to an end. And here in Joshua 5, they cross the River Jordan, and as soon as they're in the land of Canaan, they start eating, uh, they said the harvest, their grain and things, the harvest of the, the eating the, of the crops of the land. And it says that's when God stopped sending the manna. So just my point is this, that he looked after them all the way, right up until they crossed the Jordan River, and then he said, now you can plant crops because this is your land. So start, and and they began to plant crops and eat, and, and the manna stopped. But it just reminded me that he looks after all the little details in our lives. That's a lot of manna to feed 3 million people every day for 40 years. The Bible says if you read Joshua 5, manna was never seen again after they started eating of the crops of the land. Because God said, now it's yours. Plant, be fruitful and multiply. This is yours. And from that day on, he didn't give them any more manna. But he gave them land to grow their crops on. And I thought, he always does things so well. And he looked after every little detail. So that, those three days that they were camped on, on, on the far side of the Jordan, those three days, they were still eating manna. They were still receiving the promise of God. That day they crossed over the Jordan River, that was the, the, the next few days. That's when the Lord... So what I'm saying is, is, he's going to look after all the little details in your life. We have to trust them with that. Amen? He fed them right up until they crossed into the promised land. And then he made a way to make sure that they were provided for. Not just that all the victories that were to come and the conquests and getting all the land, but people just needing food and needing a life. And God looked after all of it. Right, right, right to the end. So here you have a generation of Israelites who have a different spirit than the previous one. And as we enter into this new season and new location of our church, I I just, like I said, I, I wanted to remind us all, this can be an opportunity for a new season for us as individuals as well. We're going to have new challenges, but along with 
are new challenges. We're going to have new opportunities. And so I want us to be prepared for victory. I want you to be prepared for victory. I want to prepare myself for victory. And so this little story, this little chapter in Joshua has three simple things that we can do to set ourselves up to see and experience the victory of Jesus. First, we have to keep our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith, right? Second, we have to walk with commitment, with righteousness and holiness to rid ourselves of sin, to run from temptation, to do what we need to do to serve God in an honest and a sincere way. And then, when he says so, step into the water and stand. Together with him is a majority. We can stand with Jesus. And I just want to encourage you today. There really is, really is no better way to live. There's no better way to live. No better way to live than to keeping my eyes on Jesus. To live a life that is sold out and committed to him. And then when he tells me to walk, I walk. When he tells me to stop, I stop. When he tells me to step into the water, I step into the water. When he tells me to stay, I stay. When he tells me to run, I run. This is the life that is set up for victory. When you do these things, I believe that greater power, greater anointing, greater favor, greater blessing, a greater inheritance of all the things God would like us to do, like us to give to us, are ours. But he has to, he, he has to, you know, he has to do his part, and we have to do ours. So, I'm good. I'm done. Be prepared for victory, my friends. Let's keep our eyes on him. Let's walk in holiness and righteousness before him. And let's step into the water and believe God for great things. Amen? Amen.